Hi, everyone. Welcome back to our Genesis podcast. Uh, as always, I am Scott. And I'm Brad. And this is not about us. All right, we're back. Um, feels kind of weird to, uh, to us. I know to you guys listening to the podcast, this is just the next one in line, but uh, because of COVID and some other situations, we haven't actually been recording for a couple weeks, so uh feels kind of odd to come back and finally be recording again. Brad, how about you? Yeah, it's like riding a bike <laughs> at this point, <laughs> yeah. but uh, you're right, you had the COVID, and then I never got tested, but uh, I had some similar symptoms uh, last week, so we missed our Friday. Oh my goodness. I'm glad <laughs> we're back, though. All right. So, to celebrate being back, Brad, could you start us off with a prayer to get this segment going? Absolutely. Yahweh, we've missed you. We've missed being here with the podcast. We've missed inviting you in, letting you be the star letting your spirit guide us to the things that we should talk about, finding the hidden gems of truth. We've missed it. They say, absence makes the heart grow fonder, and there is truth in that. We know you're always with us, whether we're doing the podcast or not, but there is something special about this. So, Yahweh God, will you come in tonight? Will you be that honored guest again and help us be the mic, but... As always, we want you to be the voice. Honor you. We cherish you. We give you all the love that we can. And we are thankful that we do get to be here. And we are thankful for the listeners that you bring. Thank you. Amen. Amen. Thank you for that prayer. Yahweh God, you're definitely invited in. Please, please take this and run with it where you would have us go. All right. So I hope I don't sound gravely, or I hope I don't sound sick on this, but uh, I have a tendency after illness for about six weeks to have kind of a, a cough and a gravelly throat that just kind of hangs on, and people are always asking me, are you sick? No, not anymore. It's just I, whatever it is. Uh, I, just, I just sound like it. So I get that. Yeah. I'll apologize. I feel like I've had a frog in my throat today, too, so... I'll, this one might take a little bit more editing than normal <laughs> to make us sound normal. But that's okay. We're not perfect, and we don't claim to be, so maybe this is part of that. Uh, you can uh, help identify ourselves as less than perfect people. <laughs> I'm good with that. That's right. And real quick, we should probably mention, um, if you listen to the last few podcasts, we've mentioned it, but we have guest dogs staying with us. We have yes. family. Um, that have brought their dogs with us. So we might have occasional moments where you might hear a daisy or a lily uh, <laughs> given a bark or a yip. Um, we will do our best to edit that out if possible, but you might hear that. So just just a note. Yes, thank you for mentioning that. All right, let's get started. I am really excited about this next section because it's one of those where, again, I started... Uh, jumping into this and thought, oh, this isn't going to go very far. And the more I dug 
it just kept growing and growing and growing and more and more came out of this. I was actually planning on doing these next few verses in my last podcast. And the more I kept researching, the more I kept going, no, I've got to split this up or take, you know, two hours uh, for one podcast. So uh, we'll be starting in Genesis 3.16 today. Uh, For those of you who are following along, once again, I am in the Hebraic Roots version Uh, in case you are reading along in your King James or NIV or whatever else you have. So Genesis 3.16 in my version says, And unto the woman he said, I will greatly multiply your pain and your travail. In pain you shall bring forth children, and your desire shall be to your husband, and he shall rule over you. So, I got to tell you, as studying this, Brad, would you mind, what version do you have there? I see you holding your Bible. What's that? This is the Institute for Scripture Research. Could you do me a favor and read your version real quick? I sure can. To the woman, he said, I greatly increase your sorrow and your conception. Bring forth children in pain, and your desire is for your husband. And he does rule over you. Okay. I'm, I'm glad I had you do that. I wasn't sure because um, I will greatly multiply your pain and your travail. Yours said sorrow and conception, which is pretty much in alignment with what the King James Version said. So I wanted to see if you had a different version on that one. Uh, but we're going to talk about that. This was one of the differences that's, that jumped out to me. And... I, I really appreciated this study because I, this verse, over the years, I have just gone back and forth and, and trying to understand what it means, and really digging in this time helped solidify some things, helped bring out just new understanding for this, for me, anyway. Well, I'm anxious for that, because you and I have had a pretty good conversation about this, and does that mean that Eve was already conceiving before and there was no pain right yeah all that kind of stuff and that was a fascinating conversation so i'm definitely looking forward to this so well first of all uh again i just want to reiterate for those of you who can get into the original hebrew as much as possible and and this verse for me strengthens that argument uh just just for myself because getting in changed my understanding and I didn't know what was going on until I got into this and hopefully we'll see that as we go go in here but I used to wonder if this verse meant as Brad just mentioned that Eve did have children in the garden uh, as I thought that God was saying he would multiply Eve's pain that she received while giving birth you can't multiply nothing so zero times anything is still zero. So if, to multiply something, there had to have been something to multiply. That makes sense to you, Brad? <laughs> makes sense to me. So, but the, one of the things that hit me as I was reading this again is although it does say Eve will have children, it never specifies She already had children, so we can't make that assumption. We can wonder if it happened, 
But God's statement here, I realized, it can mean the pain and travail she already had during childbirth will be multiplied, but it can also mean the pain and travail that would have existed in sinless childbirth will now be multiplied. So it is multiplying something, but it doesn't necessarily specify that it's something that has already happened to her. So that's just something to point out there. Because I, I did. I used to wonder, I will greatly multiply your, prevent, your pain and your travail uh, as if it was saying, okay, that's already occurred. Now it's going to be greater than what you've already experienced. But it doesn't say that. It doesn't say you've already had this. All it's saying is your pain is going to be greater. And that's really, it kind of stops there in one sense. So I was kind of including the words than it has been. But it doesn't have to mean that. It can be your pain will be greater than what it would have been. Right. Um, so that's just something to consider as we go on. Again, never want to claim that I'm right. What I'm giving here are things that hit me, struck my heart. Does not mean I'm perfect and I've stumbled across perfect truth. I'm still learning just like you guys. So don't, don't, please don't ever believe that I'm saying this is it. I've discovered it. You better fall in line with me. I'm not saying that. And that's the beauty of these studies is they're also candid. I don't know what you're going to talk about. Mm-hmm. So you get my candid. Half the time, I don't know what I'm going to talk about. <laughs> but you get my candid thoughts on what you're talking about. So as always, if it doesn't sound like truth, treat it as garbage, throw it out, put it to a quick death. Because we don't want it to be about us at all. That's the whole point of this. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> now, in my last podcast, we didn't go into a lot of Hebraic roots and, and versions of words and the, the word pictures. Uh, this verse, just so many of them jumped out to, at, to me. And I kept digging more and digging more and new stuff came out. And I had to keep going further and further. So we're going to have a lot of them in just this verse alone. But I'm going to start with the word multiply. All right. So this word multiply. Strong's Concordance number 7235. And it is the Hebrew word rabah. And it means to increase in whatever respect. Uh, to be or to make great. To have more in number. It also means to multiply or to make to multiply. But I, I realized when I heard this word, I thought to multiply means to make greater exponentially. You know, I, I thought, you know, you've got one, then it goes up to five, then it goes up to 29, then it goes up to a thousand. It just keeps growing in, in increasing numbers. That's what I think of to multiply. But it doesn't necessarily mean that this word. It just means to, to be or to make great, to grow in number. And, but that's something else that jumped out at me here. To be or to make great. When God was commanding them, um, I'm going to go back here for a second. Uh, I'm, I think I'm skipping in my head. This is the same word that was used in Genesis 1.22 and also in Genesis 1.28 when he was telling uh, the fish and the fowl, be fruitful and multiply. And he was telling uh, man... 
Elohim blessed them and Elohim said unto them, be fruitful and multiply. It's the same word here, which is, I think, I don't know, Brad, if you agree with me, why I think of multiply as grow exponentially. I saw mankind just boom, taking off on the face of the earth. Uh, one, two people becoming, you know, many, you know, and becoming tribes and nations and just, just massive amounts of people. Yeah, I, I see images of that all throughout the Bible. What first popped in my head when you were talking about multiply just now was Solomon and how his treasure, you know, just multiplied. Right. It's like they were had a little bit, the nation had a little bit, but then Solomon comes in and suddenly just boom. Right. But something that struck me is this word can simply mean to be or to make great. So when he commanded man to be fruitful and multiply— in essence, you can say God was saying, I command you to be great. Uh, and I thought that was a pretty cool interpretation, a pretty cool command, so to speak. But right here, he is saying, I will greatly multiply your pain and travail. So is it a, an essence where if you think of on the pain scale, you know, where it would have been a one it's greatly multiplied. So now it's like nine times, you know, not just 1.5, not just a little bit more, but you know, it's greatly multiplied. Or is this basically saying, you know, where it would have been really nothing. Now I'm going to make your pain great. You know, I just something to throw out there. Yeah, no, I, 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 I get that. Now, there's a side note here. As I was researching this, something I didn't realize before. I just noticed for the first time, God told the fish, the fowl uh, of the earth, and he told man to multiply. He never told the beasts, the cattle, or the creeping things. He never commands, he never says, be fruitful and multiply. I'm just going to throw that out there. I'm not actually going to deal with it here. I just noticed it as I was researching this. So I thought I'd throw that out there for you people to ponder. <laughs> now I'm going to move on. Sorry. Not going anywhere with that. It's just one of those, hey, I, I noticed that, but I'm going other places for right now. Now the word picture on this, uh, Rabah, Resh, Bet, and Hey. A uh, possible interpretation I came up with, I thought was kind of neat, uh, is just behold the head and the body. And we are talking about multiply and Jesus being the head of his body. And you think of the massive amounts of people that came, have, have been throughout history. And although many of them unfortunately rejected him and ran off, they were all intended to be his. Every, every person that's ever lived, God wanted to be a part of his body. Uh, another, another interpretation is the head of the house reveals the family. And again, I saw that in line with the word multiply, uh, the one becoming many. And I thought that was the design of creation from the beginning. So I thought that was pretty neat. Now, the next word I went to was pain, which, uh, as we mentioned before, in the King James Version, they translated sorrow. This is Strong's Concordance number 60. 93 and Strong's Concordance 6089. This is the first time I found the same word repeated 
in the verse at least the same English word that didn't come from the same Hebraic root. So I found that a little fascinating because the Bible says right here, at least in my version, Hebraic roots version, uh, and unto the woman he said, I will greatly multiply your pain and your travail. In pain you shall bring forth children. So it uses the word twice, but the word doesn't come from the same root, each usage. And I checked this out, and the King James Version repeats the word sorrow. So it does the same thing. I will greatly multiply your sorrow. In sorrow you shall bring forth children. So it does the same thing, it just uses a different word, sorrow, to translate both words. But both of those usages are different Hebrew words, and I found that a little fascinating. So Strong's Concordance 6093 is itzabon, and it means a worrisomeness, or just the state of being worried, if you think of it that way. In other words, labor or pain, sorrow or toil. Now, 6089 is etseb, and it means an earthen vessel. Yeah, so I know you guys can't see it on the podcast, but Brad just gave a look of, what? (laughs) But it does. It means an earthen vessel, usually painful or toil, and it can refer to a pang, whether of body or of mind grievous, it can mean an idol, it can mean labor, or it can also mean sorrow. Now, both of these words, uh, according to Strong's Concordance, both of these words are taken from 6087, otsab, and that means to carve, which I just found fascinating. Uh, In other words, to fabricate or fashion in a bad sense. And it specifies that, in a bad sense. It means to worry, to cause pain, to anger, to displease, to grieve, to hurt, to be sorry, to vex, and to worship. So both of these words, the worrisomeness, and an earthen vessel both come from a word that means to carve all right so this word pain uh, again king james has sorrow as we were talking about used twice in the same word but comes from two different words one of the things that i I can't say i have an absolute you know knowledge this is what it means but just a just a feeling for me was almost like this was saying you know to atsab means to carve Uh, in a bad sense. So it's almost like to anger, to displease, to grieve. And and etseb, an earthen vessel, can mean idol. And that was one of the first connections I have, to carve an idol. It's a bad thing. And it's like, I feel like God was saying, you have carved your own idol. Uh, To Adam and Eve, that's what happened. They created their own destiny. They, they left God's plan, did it their own sense. And in a sense, they, made, they created the first idol of themselves. They, they chose themselves and their own desires over God. And this, this word pain or sorrow, it 
to me, the story going on right here is saying you carved your own idol. You carved an earthen vessel. That stood out to me too because they were spiritual before this and they're kicked out of the garden. They suddenly become limited to the physical realm. They have made themselves into earthen vessels and they have created their own state of worry for the rest of their lives because of what they've done. That's, that's the best way I can express it right now as to what's going on here with this word pain. Any thoughts on that? First thought is, I probably have mentioned this before, but a lot of people, including myself, um, create idols. They carve their own version, their own idol today. Some Christians are like, what? No, I don't bow down to any idols. Yet then they'll say that the God that they believe in will not judge them and only loves them. Mm -hmm. Well, that's creating an idol. That's creating your version of God in your head. So yeah, we're still, we're still not getting to that point. We're still creating an idol. We're still carving an idol, and yeah, that should be worrisome. You should be worried, but it makes me wonder if that's why we do it, because we want to get out of that state of being worried. I mean, I sense and not that. realizing we're creating our own state of worry by doing it. Yeah, exactly. So. And I'm guilty of this, too. This is self-conviction. Um, I used to do the same thing. I wanted to believe in God, but I wanted to believe in a God on my terms because then I could go and do whatever I wanted with no worry. And when I got the hard truth knocked into me that the real God was a God who was a judge, I remembered how worried I got. I worried that was I in major trouble? Was I in major trouble on my judgment day? And I think that's, I think it's the whole point. We need to experience the love, but we need to experience that worry too. We've got to experience the fear. That's, that's my only thought right now. All right. Thank you for that. I appreciate That's, that's why I, one of the reasons I love doing this when the, um, like we said before, I do Genesis Brad doesn't know what I'm talking about. So we get a fresh perspective when he jumps in. And it's the same when he does Revelation. I don't know what he's going to say. So uh, the opposite is true for him. And uh, let me just say real quick, um, let me go over the word picture for this because there are two different words. Now, etseb, uh, they both come from, they both originate from atsab, but etseb and atsab are spelled the same. So the word picture there, ayin, sade, bet, a possible interpretation I came up with, now remember this is for pain, sorrow, uh, is experience inescapable trouble in your house. Wow. Now, itzabon is the same beginning it's spelled exactly the same way, but it adds the letters Vav and Nun. So what I came up with was, for that one, was experience inescapable trouble in your house and join that to your descendants. So I saw that as a picture of what Adam and Eve did, not just creating inescapable 
uh, trouble in their own house, but condemning all of their descendants, the rest of the human race, to pain, to misery, to sorrow. Then I went over the word travail. Now in the King James Version, and and then Brad, what was your version again? It's the Institute for Scripture Research. Okay, Uh, that one also said conception. Now, this one, I looked it up. I think they both missed the mark to a degree uh, because Strong's Concordance number 2032 says the name is Heron or can also be spelled and pronounced Heron and it means pregnancy. So now conception is one tiny piece of pregnancy and travail is one element of pregnancy but what i saw is this word pregnancy involved much more than both of these interpretations uh as the entire act of of being pregnant the whole the whole thing around pregnancy is much more than single elements involved with it now think about this for a second now now guys i'm not trying to get crude here not trying to tell a dirty joke or or, or get vulgar at all. I'm honestly not by saying this. But, I mean, Brad, think if I said the the act of conception is going to be multiplied, that's not a penalty for me. (laughs) That's, oh, yeah. I mean, that's awesome. That's the act of conception, for the most part, is a very enjoyable thing. Again, I'm, I'm trying to be honest, not trying to be crude or vulgar here. Just recognizing that if conception is multiplied, I think we'd appreciate that. Are you telling me that's red blood flowing through your veins? Because, <laughs> yeah, I'd be in agreement. It's wonderful. So I don't like that uh, interpretation, conception. Travail, I think, comes a little closer to the truth. But again, it's just one point. And although there is travail, so to speak, amongst the entire pregnancy to a degree, pretty much when we hear travail, we're thinking only the end, only the birth pangs and then the birth itself. But really, when it comes down to it, this word is pregnancy. It's the entire state from conception to birth, everything about it. And so that's why I think both of these interpretations didn't get it fully correct. Now, again, I don't speak fluent Hebrew. Maybe there's more to this, and maybe one of them or both of them are more accurate than what I'm thinking of. But the word picture here, let me go to that. Since there are two spellings, there were two, uh, there are two different Hebrew word pictures, and it's he, resh, and then one of them at this point adds yod, and then we go vav and nun. So for one of the spellings, he, resh, vav, nun. For the other spelling, it's he, resh, yod, vav, nun. And the word picture I came up with, and this is for the word pregnancy, behold, Yeshua's finished work with the nail brought life. And I saw that as just defining this word pregnancy, as as. Yeshua's finished work with the nail brought life. He, he birthed.
birthed us. It, I, I saw this as the new birth. I, I saw this as being born again. Uh, and, and the whole act, the pregnancy, it took a lot to get to that point where we were finally born again. Jesus' whole life, uh, the, the travail, the, the act of his suffering on the cross to get it to that point, the pain that comes right before childbirth, uh, I, I saw, I, I had in my mind the picture of pregnancy with that. I don't know if you have any thoughts on that, Brad. No, that's that's exactly what uh, I was trying to paint that picture of in one of my Revelation studies was from his, I didn't, I didn't think about the actual pregnancy part of it, but I said how many things were birthed from Jesus' death. You know, so we were both kind of, Mm-hmm. on that subject and you know i can't remember what i listed in my notes but the thing the biggest thing that popped out of that was he birthed all of christendom yeah yeah i remember you talking about that absolutely you know he birthed um eternal life he birthed i mean there was so there was there were so many things that he he birthed i didn't make that connection I thought about all the stuff that came after. I thought I was already holding the newborn baby, mm-hmm. but you're talking about that the, the cross was actually like being in the pregnancy part of it, the actual having to give the birth, and that's making. I'm sorry, that's just making me think about it. Yeah, you're right. I mean, you and I, as men, will never actually understand what childbirth pain is like. If any man could understand. Mm-hmm. It would be somebody that was put through what he was put through. Oh yeah! Wow, I never, I never really thought about it in that way. That's interesting. Now, a lot of people have told me throughout my life uh, that if I had been the only person who've ever lived, Jesus still would have come and died for me. And I, I'm in agreement with that. They've been trying; they were trying to explain how much Jesus loved me, and I'm in agreement with the statement. They are correct. But what gets missed too often is the fact that if I had been the only person that ever lived, he still would have had to. Jesus came and died for me individually. People kind of tend to think he died for the sins of the world. That took God for that many sins. But individually, oh, my sin's not that big. No, my sin still separates me completely from God, and he would have had to. So this act, this pregnancy of him coming and dying and giving his life uh, uh, for me, that it just personalizes it to, to give birth to me spiritually. Now, right here, when Adam and Eve sinned and they were the only people on earth, God's statement to Eve is a statement to mankind that Jesus must now enter into suffering and pain because of what we did. So because of what we did, the pain and travail was increased. The pain and travail, the the pregnancy was increased because of what we did. Jesus had to suffer in pain and he had to suffer through that pregnancy uh, that made us born again. If we hadn't sinned, that would that pain wouldn't have had to have been there. So that there's another level to this. 
I can't help but think that in pain you shall bring forth children is also a prophetic statement of Jesus. Yeah. And when God is saying those words, well, Jesus is God. God is Jesus. He's uh, he's saying, uh, well, what I'm getting is he's basically telling her, your pain is going to increase. He's actually saying, my pain. Mm-hmm. My pain has increased because of what you've done. Yeah. Oh, Scott. Now, let me, let me go on here, too. I'm going to keep this going. By God saying he would, quote, greatly multiply your pain and your travail, unquote, it can be understood that he is saying, because of what we've just discussed here, he will make great your worry and increase your pregnancy. Now, those are two separate things. So this is, this is the thing, too. This is one of the reasons really digging into this just changed my opinion of what, or my idea of what this verse is saying. Uh, because I always connected them. I will increase your pain and your travail. I will increase your sorrow and your conception. Whatever you're, I always connected them as being just two different adjectives towards the same concept. But now... I'm really seeing this almost as they're as if they're disconnected uh, in the sense that he's just saying there are a couple totally different things that are going to get worse. In the physical sense, this tells us pregnancy would have been different, would have been much different had Adam and Eve not sinned. But he's also telling us so much more beyond that. He's pain or worry will also be multiplied, which can refer to the fact that our overall life experience, or, or Eve's in this case, he's talking directly to Eve, but we can take it too, is talking directly to us. Eve's and ours overall life experience is going to become more painful, more worrisome. And because the woman spiritually refers to mankind, we can accept this too. All of our experiences have become greatly filled with sorrow, with pain, with suffering, with travail that we would not have known had it were it not for the initial sin in the garden. Also, the experience of bringing someone else into the kingdom. Pregnancy, the act of birthing other people, witnessing, sharing the gospel, all the things associated with birthing a new soul spiritually have become more painful and more difficult. And I, I mean, I could tell you story after story, and I'm sure you are well aware of many on your own, of people who eventually became saved, but there was a fight. There was a struggle. There was pain. There was crying. There was torment. There was punishment. There was brutality involved. Uh, and I think I think that's what, in, this, in essence, this is saying uh, it's going to increase your the worriness the, the worrisomeness in your general life and in pregnancy. It's going to expand and increase the entire act of giving birth to, to new believers, but it can, it can also be just birthing an idea in your life where something would have been... Imagine this for a second. You've got an idea for a new business and we live in a situation where there's no sin and everyone around you is, 
I can help with that. I'm on board. Let's do this. Let's eliminate roadblocks. Let's let's all help you jump right in and make this an easy transition rather than now where you've got people who don't believe you and you've got to fight through their negativity. You've got red tape. You've got government, you know, looking over you. You've got money to earn. You've got all the pains and travail of just birthing a new idea that's on your heart that you want to see come to life. There's just so many aspects that I think this this applies to that God was telling us. Again, I'll go back to it's a physical picture of a spiritual reality. I think it applies to so much more throughout life on this planet since this happened. Pain and travail, worrisomeness and pregnancy have just multiplied. Yeah. <laughs> and now, uh, let me jump in here. I'm, I'm not going to talk about it now. I'll give you a heads up for the future. As I'm reading about Cain and Abel, and I'm doing those parts in Genesis, uh, I'm realizing this verse also means so much more. In pain, you shall bring forth children can be read as, now you're going to bring children into a world of pain where you wouldn't have before. And it makes me wonder if this hadn't happened, would Cain have killed Abel? Would, you know, it, so there's just so much more. That's why I, I, this verse just kept, and we got so much more to deal with here, but this verse just kept going and going and going for me. So I'm going to keep moving unless you have something to jump in to here, Brad. No, go for it. I got a lot to think about already. <laughs> The word desire was next for me. And it's Strong's Concordance number 8669, uh, Teshuha. And, and tight. It, <laughs> oh, I should have seen that coming. Uh, but it means stretching out after, a longing, which, which fits desire. So it's a picture of someone just reaching as, as hard as they can for something. And the word picture... Tav, Sheen, Yod, Kof, Hey. And the word picture that I came up with was the two joined together was destroyed. Behold, the finished work that will bring it back in the end. And I thought that was a, a, a cool picture for the word desire. Now, this is, uh, this is coming from, and your desire shall be to your husband. So we go back to that reaching out for, longing. You're, so, so it's like the woman will just be reaching out for, wanting her husband. Just please come here. I want you. Don't go away. Just desperation is what I saw. But again, in desire for her husband, this word picture, the two joined together was destroyed Behold, the finished work that will bring it back in the end. I saw this as a picture of God's plan of salvation. Uh, the, the, the separation from God or our husband, the husband of mankind, we seen as the, the bride of Christ. But the finished work that, that God did on the cross, it will bring us back to him in the end. Our desire for him uh, is is going to be fulfilled. We are going to be reconnected with him eventually, completely 
in the end. Now, husband is Strong's Concordance number 376, and we've come across this word before. It is the word ish. It is a contraction of 582 enosh, and we came up with it before as the word man. This was the one where we talked about uh, man was always translated as Adam. Yes. Until we hit the words ish, uh, where man, in this case, it means either the individual person or as a male, and it means a great, mighty man. And it also means husband. It can also mean all of mankind, uh, high degree, worthy, and it is often used as an adjunct to a more definite term. In English, we would think of that as Spider-Man or Superman. It's an adjunct to something else that is defining it. Uh, and, in su- and in such cases where that happens, it is frequently not expressed in translation. But this is the word ish. Again, here it's, it's translated as husband, not man. Uh, but we have come up with this word before. And the word picture that we mentioned last time that this came up, Aleph Yod Sheen, is the, the, the interpretation that I came up with at the time was the gentle arm destroys. Didn't come up with a new word picture for this, uh, this time, this, this incarnation. Nothing else really jumped out at me at this point. But I thought about that as her desire will be to her husband. And I thought of this as speaking of prophetically our desire as mankind playing the part of the woman would be to god this we've we've separated this and we're just reaching out for the mighty man the worthy one who is who is god and we just want him back we've we've got this separation and we just need him back and then i looked up the word rule and he will rule over you Strong's Concordance number 4910, Ma Shal. And it means to rule, to have dominion, to reign, to have power. Now this is interesting. I don't know what exactly this means, but I'm going to point it out here. It is the same as Genesis 1.18. Now Genesis 1.17 and 18 say, And Elohim set them... He's talking about two great lights. Set them in the firmament of the heaven to give light upon the earth and to rule over the day and over the night and divide the light and to divide the light from the darkness. And Elohim saw that it was good. It's the same word as that, Mashal, being used here. He will rule over them. But Genesis 1:16, and Elohim made the two great lights, the great light to rule the day and the lesser right to lesser light to rule the night and the stars. That's a different word. Uh, it's memshalah, and it is feminine in nature. And it means rule, or it can mean a realm, or it can mean a ruler, a dominion, a government, or power. It has more of a noun aspect to it than verb, rule, to have dominion, to reign. Um, this is the actual noun element of it, like the kingdom itself, the, the rulership, so to speak the rule of someone in the noun sense. And I'm not really going to go anywhere else with that for right now, but I throw it out there because I found that to be fascinating. 
I'm not going backwards into those uh, Genesis 1, 16 through 18 at this point, but I thought I'd throw that out there for all of you listeners to say, hey, I want to check that out on my own. Find out if there's anything more in that right now. But the word picture here for mashal, to rule, have dominion, reign, have power, is mem, shin, lamed. And I came up with a couple different word pictures here. One of them was chaos that consumes and controls. One of them was urge toward the massive peak. And that made a lot of sense to me. And, and we've talked about it before, but every one of these words can have a negative, can have a positive connotation. It can be, this is what God intended, but it can also be, this is how Satan's manipulated it and twisted it. Urge toward the massive peak. For those of you who've heard all of our other podcasts uh, in our conversations, I've mentioned uh, the books, Final Quest, The Call, uh, The Torch and the Sword by Rick Joyner. And in the Final Quest, there is a mountain, there is a peak, and it's the mountain of God. And the people in that are urged toward the mountain, and they're told, fight from the mountain. Do not fight Satan on his territory. Run to the mountain. You fight, you stay on my mountain in order to win this fight. And so that's why that jumped out at me. This rule, uh, I saw urge toward the massive peak. That, that had personal significance for me. And that's why I explain that, uh, that vision from uh, the final quest is uh, so you can understand where I'm coming from. When you asked me to read those books, it was at that point on the mountain that I realized I was into something special. And it was because they, it, it made me rethink everything that I'd ever, ever knew. Because uh, it, read the book, but, uh, and I've mentioned this before, but there's a moment where they're on the mountain and they want to help others that are in trouble, but they're they're too far away and they think they have to leave the mountain to go and help. And wisdom Jesus explains that, no, have enough faith to move the mountain. When I used to think about that, I used to think that God would move the mountain in my way. I never realized that we could move the mountain ourselves to go help others. And I think that's a beautiful image of what you're trying to say here. He's the mighty peak. We can't help others unless we have him. So, yeah. you know, we need to move the mighty peak. We need to introduce them to the mighty peak, but we can't leave the mighty peak. If we do, then we're lost. Mm-hmm. No, yes. Thank you. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you for that. As, yes, that, that is where I'm coming from with my interpretation uh, of this. And, and again, you listening We'll look at those and come up with your own interpretations based off your own experiences and your own vision and where you are right now. And you're going to be just as correct. Uh, we've talked about it before. That's the incredible intricacy and depth of who God is. But in these words, I saw something pretty cool or at least interesting. God and his plan can be seen in creation. In man and woman, male and female, we've talked about it before, we see God and mankind. The male playing the part of God, the woman playing the part of mankind. Now, God was always our superior. 
our king, our creator. He was always God. We were man. But before the fall, it was a completely open relationship. I mean, think about this. When you have a baby child, an infant in your arms, this precious little being, you're the superior. You have power and authority. It can't hurt you. You can hurt it. You have all the decision-making power. You have you understand what I'm talking about. You're the adult. It's the infant. That's the way we were. But just like that, the infant, Adam, was just all trusting and loving. And this was dad. This was mom. This was I love you. This was just a familial relationship where it was just completely open and pure. When God tells Eve her desire would now be to her husband, and he shall rule over you, I feel that, at least in part, it's saying that because of the fall, the physical nature of the relationship would now mirror mankind's spiritual relationship with God, separated but desiring reunion, wanting desperately for God to be back. And God's place with man became less familial and more master-servant-focused. God rules rather than stands side by side at this point in history. Now, Jesus has brought that back. And with, the, uh, with his death on the cross and bringing the Holy Spirit, we've come back. He wanted that relationship to be restored. And I'm going to go to John 15, 15, which says, these are the words of Jesus. I know, oh, I'm sorry. Let me, let me start over. He says, no longer do I call you servants because a servant does not know what his master does. But I have called you my friends because everything that I have heard from my father, I have made known to you. Now think about that. Jesus said, no longer do I call you servants, which infers that he was calling us servants. Now I'm going to go back and I'm going to reinterpret this verse here with what we've just talked about. And unto all of mankind, he said, I will greatly increase your worry and your pregnancy. As an earthen vessel, you shall bring forth children. You will long for your husband, that great and mighty man who is worthy, and he shall have dominion and power over you. Brad, anything you want to throw into there before I move on to Genesis 3.17? No. <laughs> you just, just painted a picture that makes me sad and happy at the same time. Because we are longing. Well, I, I don't know. I'm longing. I'm longing for the mighty one. It just It breaks my heart that we're in this situation. Yeah. Because I am. I'm longing for it. You know, revelation to some is scary, but to me it's, I can't wait. Yeah. I can't wait to be restored and to, and to not have the worry, to not have the pain. I, that's just where I'm at. You just painted a picture that is, uh, it's beautiful, but it's also just hitting me emotionally. Yeah. And that, that's, you're right. It's, it's depressing and beautiful because 
it's sad to see where we got, but it's also beautiful to know that within this picture, he's already painted the picture of salvation within it. He knew this would come. He prepared for our salvation before we were even created, knowing we would fall. He had everything designed. And that's an amazing thing. That That's a thing that makes me cry to think about is God created us knowing how much we would hurt him. Yeah. There was that much love involved that he just had to have us. Knowing the pain that we would put him through, he, he had to have us. And the fact that he doesn't need us. Yeah. He, he's going through all of this and we bring, we bring nothing to it. He doesn't need us. We need him. And like, I, you know, I talk about being self-convicting because I, I'm, I'm there, but we're ungrateful not individually i'm ungrateful as a society we're ungrateful he doesn't need us but mm-hmm. he greatly desires us yeah so now uh i am going to go on i i might be running a little long with this but um i'm not exactly sure because while we've been recording <laughs> this you're not going to hear all of it but we've had dogs barking and lots of stoppages so i'm not exactly sure what our real runtime is right now So I'm hoping we're still good. I'm going to go on with this next section here. And this is a set of three verses. For those of you following along, it's Genesis 3, 17 through 19. And unto Adam, he said, because you have hearkened unto the voice of your wife and have eaten of the tree of which I commanded you, saying, you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the earth for your sake. In toil shall you eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns also and thistles shall it bring forth to you, and you shall eat the herb of the field. In the sweat of your face shall you eat bread till you return unto the earth, for out of it you were taken, for dust you are, and unto dust shall you return. Really quick right there, I just want to point out that section, and you shall eat the herb of the field. We've talked about this before, how God said God gave man in the garden uh, the trees, and he, he did not give man the herb of the field. And, that, and, and we talked about the verses where it mentions uh, the herb of the field wasn't coming up because man was not plowing yet. Um, so here, it's treated as a punishment, and you shall eat the herb of the field. This is part of God's punishment to man for, for his sin. He's kicked out of the garden. It's, everything is not just given to him anymore. He's going to have to work for it. But the first thing that jumped out at me with this was the fact that God spends the longest time with Adam in his rebuke. The serpent and, and his rebuke to Eve are, are much shorter uh, compared to his rebuke to Adam. This goes on the longest. I also noticed that the serpent tempted Eve, who then brought the fruit to Adam. And this is exactly the order by which God rebukes them. The serpent, the Eve, then Adam. Now God starts by saying the problems come about because Adam listened to his wife 
rather than to the direct commandments of his own. And to me, this is revealing our own problems that are caused by listening to the instructions of man rather than the direct commandments of God. And this is why I, I've, I've tried on my own to try to go back and find out what did God say and ignore the false religion, the false history, uh, the, just everything phony that has come about through Christendom that God did not say and God did not want. There's a lot more to that that I could get into right now that I'm not going to. But it's caused a focus in my life to say, what exactly did God say? Not how has man reinterpreted it over time. And to blow that off, I've said this before. I will, I will say this again. I am against Catholicism. I am against Baptists. I don't know what you call that, baptism. I'm not against, you know. Uh, I'm against you know, Methodists, I'm against Lutheran, I'm against every denomination. Uh, when people ask, I, I've had people ask me, what are you? And I say, Christian. They say, no, 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 what are you? I say, Christian. And they say, no, you're not understanding me. And I say, no, you're not understanding me. I am not a denominational Christian. I am not, I, I am a believer and a follower of Jesus Christ. I am a believer and a follower of Yeshua HaMashiach. I am not a religious person. I am chasing the one true God. I get it wrong, just like everyone else, and I'm still foul, uh, fallible. Did I say that right? Fallible? Yeah. I'm, I'm still a hypocrite at times. I'm still falling, stumbling over my own feet at times, uh, bloodying my nose on the ground as I fall but I'm chasing the one true God. I'm not chasing man's idea of who God is. And I come into direct conflict with a lot of people because of that, because people want me to follow their religion. But, but I, I don't mean to get off on that side note, but I think that's what's going on right here. Adam listened to his wife rather than the direct commandments of God. And we've talked about it before. His wife, Eve, represented, uh, was, was in the Holy Spirit. And I think we have a lot of people, the wife was given to Adam as a helpmeet, as a protector. I think we have a lot of people listening to people who claim to be gods and in fact might genuinely be sent by God, but they've gotten off on their own on something, and they're instructing us in ways that God never intended. But it is in the fact that we listen to and accept the ways and teachings of mankind rather than God that gets us into trouble just like Adam did. We need to listen to God. Does that mean we should never listen to people that people have not been given to us as helpers? No. But we, each of us, are responsible for our own souls, for our own, uh, the thoughts of our heart and, and what we go, what we, how we chase God. When God says yes and man says no in whatever role they may have, then we have to say, no, I'm going to go along with yes. 
when God says stop and man, uh, even men who call themselves godly, say, no, it's okay, go on. We have to say, no, I'm going to stop. No matter how upsetting that is to you, I'm going to stop because the word of God says stop. When we get to heaven and we stand before the judgment seat, our lives are going to be reviewed and everywhere we were obedient, God is going to say, my good and faithful servant, well done. And everywhere we were disobedient, God is going to say, I'm holding you accountable. I'm holding you directly accountable. But God, such and such told me, no, I am holding you directly accountable. But they said, the person you sent to teach me, no, I am holding you accountable because you listened to your wife and you ate of the tree which I commanded you, saying you shall not eat of it. I like to say that we should do the best with the best information we have. And that sometimes comes off as a cop-out, but what I mean is there's actually quite a bit of responsibility with that. So as I grow <laughs> as I grow in wisdom, as I learn new things, as I start to understand where I've been wrong, okay, I now have new information. So sometimes that means I gotta throw out the old information and I'm now accountable because I have that new information. I understand things differently now. So I'm now accountable for every time that I did whatever I did with the previous information. So yes, I do. I will say I will do the best with the best information that I have. But there's also an accountability there when I learn something new, when wisdom increases in my life. And that's where I get caught up sometimes because mm-hmm. I am an emotional creature. So when I realize that oh no, I've got some new piece of truth and I've been doing wrong. I'm now accountable for all the times that I did wrong. And it's what you do with that, how you how you choose to react to that, that will show if you're listening to the word of God or if you're still listening to the idols that we make or your own your own voice or other people or whoever. But yeah, no, Scott, I to- I'm in total agreement with you. We have to do a better job of going to the source and listening to what God said. Now, the next part that I wanted to cover here is when God says, cursed is the earth for your sake. Now, Brad, I don't know if you remember, but we've talked about this before because that the way it says this I mean, this all sounds like a punishment, and we think, and it is, it's man being kicked out of the garden, being told, oh, now, now this, all this is going to happen. But cursed, for the earth, cursed is the earth for your sake. That sounds like grace. The way he says it, the earth is cursed. So in other words, I, I guess I kind of thought, uh, thought of this growing up as, and because of you, the earth is cursed too. Shame on you. But now as I read this, uh, it sounds like he's saying, cursed is the earth for your sake in order to help you out. And that made me think. Adam and Eve had sinned and separated themselves from God. 
So with sin in them, they could not coexist with God any longer. So if the earth was not cursed for their sake, would they have had nowhere to go? Would they have had to have been destroyed at that point because of the sin? Because sin could not coexist in the direct presence of God. And if the earth, was, if the earth remained glorious and, and part of God's domain where God was directly uh, present, would Adam and Eve had to have been destroyed because they had nowhere to go? Did he curse the earth to give them a place where they could dwell in their sin? Well, it's a simple truth that God gives mercy. So even if he's cursing something, it would be a mercy. That, yeah. That makes total sense to me. So I looked up this, uh, these words, cursed and sake, to see if I could come up with anything else. Now, cursed is Strong's Concordance number 779, RR, and it means, now this, this jumped out at me, it means to, to bitterly curse, that's one of the things it means, but the primary definition is to execrate. Now, I had to look that word up. I didn't <laughs> know the English word. Do you know what that means, Brad? No, but my mind immediately went to bad things. Yeah. It, no, sounds, it sounds... Sounds like excrement. Right. Yeah. But to execrate, and that's not totally wrong. I looked up execrate in English, and it means to declare to be evil or detestable. To feel or express great loathing for. To curse, to damn to denounce. Now, what jumped out at me right there was in these definitions. By the way, all of those definitions I got from different sources, from Webster's Dictionary, from uh, uh, dictionary.com, a variety of sources to get these definitions here. But so this fact, the the earth is cursed. It was all, it's, it's, it's a feeling, it's a declaration it's it's an expression. Uh, it's it's all an action upon them, uh, so to speak. Uh, like I said, to declare to be evil or detestable, to express great loathing for. It's all. It, it's like it's it's a pronunciation. It's it's coming uh, from your from your words through or from your emotions through your words. Uh, that jumped out at me. This cursed is the earth for your sake. It wasn't just a state of being. This word cursed means it's acted upon. So that kind of went back to what I was talking about before is this grace. God cursed. He declared the earth detestable. Uh, it wasn't just the earth is now in this state. It was I'm declaring it. I am expressing damnation upon the earth for you. And the word picture here under cursed also got me because it's talking of exactly what you said before uh, about mercy. And even in this curse, we see mercy. Um, it is arar, aleph, resh, resh. Now, this is the first word I've come across in Hebrew 
where the same letter is repeated. Yeah. And one of the possible interpretations I came up with was to teach what is the highest, what is most important. And I saw it in that. It's cursed in order to teach us how important the truth is. And I, I don't know if that makes sense to you. It makes sense to me. It, it, it's, it's, well, let me go on. Let me go on real quick here because I'm going to, I'll come back to it all when I, when I go over sake. Oh, but also real quick, that, that letter being repeated, resh and resh. I went back to, uh, by the mouths of two witnesses is this thing revealed. And in this word resh means uh, first person, head, what is highest, most important, chief. And I thought this cursing is, is two witnesses talking about God, talking about do you realize, it's just do you realize what you've lost? I guess that's kind of what I'm getting to by this, to teach what is highest, what is most important. In the cursing, because the fact that we were brought low, we've just learned the value of what was where we were, of what was high. If does that make any sense? That's that's making total sense to me. Now, sake is Strong's Concordance number five six six eight, and it is abur. And the interesting thing here is it means crossed. It is the passive participle of fifty six seventy four, which means to cross over. And it, when it's used in this way, abur, it is only used as an adverb, which essentially translates as on account of, or in order that, or because of, or for someone or something's sake. So the word picture here is ayin, bet, vav, and resh. Um, and again, it's it's spelled in Hebrew two different ways. So vav is is only in one of the spellings. They're both pronounced abur. But a possible interpretation here is the household sees what is most important. So again, it comes back to you never know what you had until it's gone. That idea is part of the cursed earth to reveal the perfection of God. And then I went back to thorns and thistles shall it bring forth to you. And I'm going to ask Brad, just in that, thorns and thistles, Brad, what, does anything jump out to you the way it jumped out to me? Thorns and thistles. I think of, that image gives me, well, kind of what we were talking about earlier, worry walking through thorns and thistles, worry that I'm going to be hurt or in pain or, you know, injured. Oh, absolutely. I'll tell you what jumped out at me was the parable of the sower. Mm. It was the first thing I thought of when I saw that. Now, the parable of the sower can be found in Matthew 13, Mark 4, and Luke 8, if you guys want to check it out on your own. But in Matthew 13, I'm going to skip to the verses that only deal with the thorns and the thistles. So, so this is, you know, Matthew 13, 3, 7, and 22 that I'm reading here. And he spoke much to them in parables and said, Behold, the sower went out to sow his seed. And then I'm skipping around. And others 
of the seed fell among the thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked them. And then he's explaining what it means. And as for that which was sown among the thorns, the same is he that hears the word of Elohim, but the care of this world and the lust for the false mammon choke the word, and it becomes unfruitful. In Jesus' parable of the sower, he says, the thorns and thistles prevented some seeds from growing. These weeds were the cares and desires, he explained, of the world that prevented the seed from being able to grow within us. And so God tells Adam here that the earth will bring forth thorns and thistles. On one level, God is telling Adam, because of this sin that he's committed, Mankind is now going to be forced to deal with competing selfish forces that the world offers that he wouldn't have to have dealt with before. And this also goes back and combines with Eve's rebuke to feel like doing God's will with our lives has become a labor and a struggle when it didn't have to be. Eve will bring forth children or spiritually speaking, sharing Jesus with others, gaining converts, is going to happen in pain. Adam is going to eat the bread of life, Jesus' body, with sweat rather than in the cool peacefulness that he would have done so before. Now, all of this, we're going to end here Uh, And I understand why, you know, it's depressing because we're in the part where Adam and Eve have sinned and the results of their sin have, have been revealed. And it is important to understand where we've fallen so we can cry out and reach out for him. I want you to understand that it's, it's important not to fall into a pit of despair but so that we've, like we've just said, we don't understand how awesome God is unless we see the cursed state that we're currently in. And Brad, I'm sorry, I think I interrupted. You were going to say something in the middle of that, and I kept talking. I, I don't know. I don't know if it's a connection or not. It's just popping in my head. This is, to me, this is interesting. So spiritually, okay, if you're not in Christ, you're seeing the things you're seeing the thorns and the thistles of this world and you're not worried about it uh you're you you're chasing after it you're you're in the midst of it you're being choked and you don't understand it but you're but you're not worried about it on the other end you're in Christ and what you're talking about here is going out and trying to bring other people to Christ we see we see the thorns and the thistles Mm -hmm. and it worries us. And that made me think about the fact that there have been a few times in my life um, where I have failed to go and preach the gospel. And I'm starting to wonder if it's because spiritually I'm, I, I, I'm seeing the worry. I'm worried about the thistles. I'm worried about the thorns because I can see them, but they can't. And then I've also heard evangelists that have been doing it. Uh, Someone that I appreciate and I follow, Ray Comfort, he goes uh, pretty much every single day and records his conversations with people. 
and recently he had one that was uh, a video where he was just talking uh, about about his experience. He's actually wrote a whole book about it, but every single time he goes out to talk to somebody, he's scared to death. And he's been doing it for like 50 years. I wonder if it's just because on some spiritual level, yeah. we we see it. And so there's a worry that, there's a worry, you're afraid, you're afraid to put yourself out there anyway. Mm-hmm. But I wonder if there's also spiritually a worry because we see them in the midst of the thorns and the thistles being choked. And you, I, for me, I think sometimes the worry is, I don't want to screw that up. It's important. It's important to get them out of that. So I think the worry comes in for me that I'm going to screw it up. I don't know. Sorry. It's just just thoughts that were popping through my head. No, I appreciate that. I I, I think you're... You're right on. Um, I've seen that before in my life too where it's like I understand that I see something that other people don't. That like you're right, uh, the thorns and thistles of the world. I mean think about that. Thorns and thistles you said was a destructive, painful thing and yet they're the cares of this world. They're what people are latching on to. And we're, we as Christians with a spiritual point of view look and say, why are you hugging that? Why are you grabbing? Why are you embracing? Why are you chasing those things? But they are. They're the things that, that, that we cling to. It's a thistle. It, it, it grabs you. It, it doesn't want to let go. And it is so difficult for us to let go of those things because we enjoy them. We all understand the pleasures of the world. We all understand how we have all been tempted to say, that looks good to me. I, I really want that. And I don't know how many times I've heard people talk about the cares and pleasures of this world in a way that makes it sound like God wants them to have it. And, and, it ke- and again, it makes me go, you're not seeing through God's eyes. That makes me think of the idols that we were talking about, making the idol, Mm -hmm. making the version of God that you want that is comfortable with you and the things that you're doing. Yeah. Well, we've gone on for long enough. I'm not sure how long this is going to go. Like I said, I know, but I'm I'm keeping track of the time and it's gone on for a while, but we've had several stoppages that will get edited out. And so it's going to shorten this. So I'm not sure how long this podcast will actually go. This might be an interesting experiment. Right now we are at one hour, 25 minutes, and 52 seconds. Yeah. So when I edit this, <laughs> we'll see how much actually got cut yeah, out. Yeah, because we had long <laughs> extended periods where we're trying to stop the dogs from barking and stuff like that. But uh, we're Which, gonna... that might end up in a blooper reel. Just, there you go. You know, just saying. <laughs> I do have blooper clips that I've kept. I don't know what's going to come of them, but they are out there if people are interested. Leave us a comment. So, we'll go ahead and wrap it up right now by saying, as always, I'm Scott. And I'm Brad. And this has been Not About Us.